If you're honest with yourself, if I'm honest with myself, have you ever come to the moment of prayer and found yourself distracted? Distracted by the to-do list of the day. Distracted by not quite feeling awake in the morning. Distracted by the bombardment of notifications on that smartphone that's not so smart and makes us a little bit dumber because of its distractions. Have you ever thought of that? We shouldn't feel less than in that. The reality is we all get a little distracted in coming to prayer. So much so that the Apostle Paul got distracted for a whole 12 verses of what he was going to do in praying. If you have a Bible, go ahead and reference back to Ephesians 3.1. To Ephesians 3.1. It says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Right here, the Apostle Paul had intended to break out into prayer for the Gentiles. But what does he do from verse 2 through 13? He gets lost and distracted. Yet his distraction, if we're honest, again, is a little bit more God-exalting than some of ours. This because he gets lost and caught up in who is this God. And he goes into a praise and a reminder of the mystery of godliness that is, is there and being revealed to him. And he wants to proclaim it to these Gentile believers. But he gets lost and distracted for 12 verses. As he lays out the mystery of the gospel that was once hidden, but has now been revealed. This is the context we enter this morning as Paul finally gets around to making his prayer requests known on behalf of these Gentiles. These Gentiles who he is in chains for. So if you have your Bible there, let's read God's word from Ephesians 3 verses 14 through 21. This morning. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now you know I like to try and sum this up with a main idea. If I've wrestled and, and studied this passage correctly, here is what I think the main idea of the text is, and therefore the main idea of this sermon. And it's there on the screen behind me. Praise be to our God, who is able to do far more than we ask or think in prayer. As he works his power in us. Let me repeat that. Praise be to our God. Who is able to do far more than we ask 
or think in prayer as he works his power in us. Now prepare yourselves. Typically, I'm a two to three, maybe a four-point sermon. This morning, we're breaking this up into five parts, and I hope it will help make sense as we go, just organizing the thoughts here. So part one, the posture of prayer. Part two, prayer for strength. Point three, or part three, prayer for understanding. Part four, prayer for feeling. And part five, praise to God. Posture of prayer, prayer for strength, prayer for understanding, prayer for feeling, and praise to God. Let's look at part one, posture of prayer. Look there at verses 14 and 15 again with me. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in an heaven and on earth is named. Notice as Paul begins to pray here, he doesn't wander into it aimlessly. He has a clear purpose. What is that purpose? Look back up at verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul has an aim in his prayer, an aim of prayer because he has a great concern for these Gentile believers to not lose heart. He's suffering. He's in prison on their behalf. They've heard of his suffering and he wants to pray for them in the midst of his own chains and his own imprisonment for them to not lose heart. To not lose heart of the faith that they have now in Christ. To not lose heart that he is suffering because he proclaimed this gospel, this good news to them. So he wants to pray to, for them. But notice too, as he comes to prayer, he, he doesn't just approach this carelessly. It says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. And we might be a little shocked here. Bowing of knees in prayer was not, it was not the norm and posture of everyday prayer in Jewish culture. It was to stand. Think about it now. Even Jews to this day will go and stand before the wall and pray. They stand with a posture. We see the two that Jesus himself counters, encounters. They're praying. They're both standing. One is looking upward, one is looking downward and beating his chest, but the, the stance is to stand. So Paul here says, I bow my knees here. I love what Kent Hughes in his commentary says here. He says, here, kneeling indicated an extraordinary event or an unusual passion. Kneeling indicated an extraordinary event or an unusual passion. Here, the Apostle Paul, a Jew of Jews, he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. His normal would have been expected to have stood. But with unusual passion, he bows his knees on behalf of these dear brothers and sisters to pray for them. It's not for himself he's bowing. 
but it's for others. But notice just the details here and the posture of his prayer keep being laid out. Notice who it says he bows before, before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Remember who he's praying for, Gentiles, who were previously alienated from God. They could not call God Father. But notice who Paul reminds them he is praying to. Not just the father of the Jews. Not just my father. Your father. He who is father of everyone. In heaven and on earth. This is the God in whom I am praying on your behalf too. I bow my knees to pray to this God. What incredible access we have to this God in prayer. That we can all call upon him as father those who have been born again to a living hope in Jesus Christ can call on God as Father and cry out to Him. What an encouragement that we need in that. Brothers and sisters, do we see first the posture of prayer we need? We need to recognize the God in whom we are approaching. We need to realize that prayer is not just a genie wish list of our own wants and desires, but prayer especially should be always towards others. Not always, but regularly for others. We should be praying for others in various ways. How? Well, that's where the next three points go. It labors to show us and, and give us an example of how to pray for others. Let's look at part two. A prayer for strength. Verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. The first prayer here that Paul begins to pray is a prayer of strength. He prays that they in their inner being may be strengthened with this power from the Holy Spirit. That they may not lose heart. Paul doesn't want them to lose heart. So he knows they need strength. And so he prays specifically for it. Lord, strengthen these brothers and sisters of mine to not lose strength. Pray that they can be strong and courageous because of the working of your spirit within them. So that they can have an inner peace and comfort and hope. Working here in the inner man of the soul and the heart to be strengthened in these ways so that their faith may become sight and until it does that they may not lose heart of that faith but notice again who it is doing this work of strengthening it's not saying christian pull yourself up by your bootstraps and muster up the strength of your own christian don't lose heart because of your own strength Brothers and sisters, friends, we cannot muster up the strength of our own accord. It's utterly helpless. If we are to fight the good fight of faith, it can never be strength from you or I. It must be from that of the Spirit. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love there in verse 17. The goal of this power is for the Spirit to work in our inner being, to strengthen us from Himself. Now, 
Here's the problem with this prayer. We're we're tempted to begin to wonder, wait, wait, don't we all have this spirit when we first believe? That's not what Paul's contradicting. Paul's not contradicting that. He's not saying that you need the spirit to come and anoint you. But now that the spirit that is already dwelling in you may actually work in you. That the spirit, that same spirit that comes upon us at the moment and helps us to believe will now do a deeper work. Christianity is not just about initially getting into heaven. If you were in Sunday school, you heard that message loud and clear, hopefully. It's not just about getting a ticket out of hell and into heaven's celestial city. It's about holding that faith, living in light of that faith. And so to hold on to that, Paul prays this. He prays that the Spirit would work to strengthen, not just to strengthen them to hold hope, but strengthen them in bowing in greater allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. John Stott in his commentary sums this thought up well. He says, Paul prays to the Father that Christ by his Spirit will be allowed to settle down in their hearts and from his throne, They're both control and strengthen them. That's what it means there in verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Yes, again, Christ has already come in that moment of faith and salvation. But for Christ to dwell, to truly settle down and plant roots. And to be the foundation of that hope, which we'll get to momentarily. For him to truly be that, to dwell within, is to have that increase of power and lordship over our hearts. Christian, do you realize your heart right now is waging war against you? There's a reason the book of Ephesians, Paul, goes to spiritual warfare at the very end of it. Because the reality is, that's all of Christian living. We're all fighting our hearts. We're fighting lies. In the cosmic battle to believe what is true and to hold to that truth forever. To endure in that. So, as Paul prays for the strengthening of an inner man, he's praying that we would be strengthened to allow Christ to dwell more deeply within. To have every nook and cranny of our hearts be given over to Jesus. Instead of Christians holding on to that dark corner and saying, no, this corner of the heart you can't find. I'm going to keep this from you. The prayer here is that Christ may dwell in every part of our hearts. He may rule so supremely over us. This is what Paul is praying for. And how does he know Look again at the start of verse 16. He prays the prayer to be strengthened, but according to the riches of his glory. Paul prays this bold prayer for spiritual strength in the inner man. And he prays it because he knows the God he prays to. One who is full of the riches of glory. And he knows that God does not withhold this richness from his people. He does not keep it back for himself, but he pours it out. Look back to chapter 1 of Ephesians, if you will. Look beginning in verse 5, or right before 5, in love. 
Ephesians 1, the end of 4, end of 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Pouring out of God's blessings on his people is the lavishing of this grace. The lavishing of these riches in Christ. Brothers and sisters, do we see that we can confidently go and ask bold prayers to our God, knowing that he is the one full of riches and he pours out those riches on us? But it's not just riches of this world, it's spiritual riches. He lavishes these elements of grace upon us so that we can stand against the enemy, so that we can stand firm in our faith and be strengthened. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you something when is the last time you've prayed this kind of prayer with this kind of boldness for somebody else within this local church? Are you being given to praying for others to be strengthened in their spiritual fight so that they may be encouraged and strengthened in the inner man in their very heart and soul to love Jesus? I pray recently. But I fear in too many churches that is not the case, including even ours. We pray for each other's physical well-being, but we are slow to pray for the spiritual well-being of each other, to stand firm in the fight, to be strengthened, to not lose heart, to not lose heart when things get tough, when death strikes once more, when disease enters. Let's pray for each other's inner soul so that we may stand firm and not lose heart until the day our faith becomes sight. Brothers and sisters, let's be given to this kind of prayer for one another. That's what the local church is for. It's to be brothers and sisters who are covenanted together, praying for one another, committing themselves to one another to help each other link arms and say, we're going to stand together. We don't want to lose anyone to walking away from their faith. We're going to pray that each one stands firm in their faith until the very end. Imagine. Last illustration that I hadn't planned. Red Rover, Red Rover came to mind over the last week in talking about playing it with cousins. If you've never played Red Rover, Red Rover, you're missing it. You missed out on childhood fun. There was one incident where we were playing Red Rover, which if you've not played it, you link arms. You've got two teams. One team is linked holding arms. The other team is linked holding arms. And you call when it's your turn to send somebody over. Well, one of those times we... We, me and a cousin of mine had our arms so tightly linked and we sent her brother over. We had such a tight hold on one another. He was foolish enough to come through ours. The boy flipped twice with a clothesline because we had such a tight grip on one another. If we do that for fun and games, what if we did that when it matters when souls are at stake? Praying for that kind of strength for one another. Christian, let us have that hold. 
on each other and pray for that kind of strength within. But not only just strength are we to pray for, we're to pray for each other to have understanding. And that's where we turn in part three this morning. Look there again at verse 17 and into 18. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and then 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. A prayer for understanding. A prayer for an understanding here of the love of Christ. Again, notice this language of rooted and grounded. One is agriculture of, of roots. Roots dwell and work their way deep to take anchor. A tree that has good roots is not going to blow over in the midst of a storm. Plants that have good roots are able to flourish and be nourished. A plant with shallow roots doesn't hold very well. So be rooted in this in Christ. To be grounded is architectural. It, it's that a, a foundational. When it, it talks about being grounded, something at to have a firm, a solid foundation. A foundation that you're able to build upon. If your foundation isn't solid, if you're not grounded in that, you can't very well build a sturdy building. Same with the cornerstone, of course, which is Christ. But this is the prayer Paul prays. He prays here that they would be rooted and grounded in love. What love? The love of Christ. Verse 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. What is this love that surpasses knowledge? It describes it here as the breadth and length and height and depth. To understand this love of Christ and its magnitude is essential for Christian living. We cannot rightly live and follow Christ if we don't first understand and know his love. But wait, it says his love is that surpasses knowledge. Again, this is why Paul is praying that they may understand from a spiritual help to know these truths. Paul's praying for them to do this. But how do you describe this love? Well, we know throughout the Bible we have many references. John 14, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Romans 5, 8. And we know the fact that Jesus died for us while we were still sinners, enemies of the living God. This is the love that Christ has for us. But lest we struggle here, let me turn to Kent Hughes again. Here's how he describes this in understanding the height, breadth and length and height and depth. Kent Hughes writes, A love that is wide enough to embrace the world. A love that is long enough to last forever. A love that is high enough to take sinners to heaven. A love that is deep enough to take Christ to the very depth to reach the lowest sinner. Do you see what amazing love we have in Christ? The deep, deep love of Jesus. A love that goes deeper than the deepest ocean. 
that spreads greater lengths than that of the four seas combined together, longer than the largest mountain, or longest mountain range, higher than the highest mountain peak. This is the love of Jesus. This is the love that we are to comprehend and to understand so that we may grow in Christ's likeness. Friends, let me ask you, how do you approach the Bible? How do you approach our gathering on Sunday morning? Do you pray ahead of time? Or do you just pick it up and or just show up? Maybe part of the reason we, we struggle to actually comprehend the things of God and the love of God and the love of Christ is because we do not prepare well. We just go through and think we're going to understand this on our own without any prayer, any helpfulness outside of us. We think we're smart enough to figure this out and we're not. These are complex things. So we should humble ourselves and, and pray beforehand. What if? What if instead of just saying, okay, all right, here, here's God's word in Ephesians 3, 14. For the reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family... No, let's back up. Let's pray. Lord, give me insight. Give me understanding. Help me to have an attentive mind and heart as I read your word. Help it become plain and clear to me. Help me to have that understanding. Help it to sink deep within my soul, to, to expose evil within, to, to be at work in making me more and more like Jesus. What if we were given to that kind of prayer before we dove into our morning devotions or our Sunday gathering and prayed, God, would you work? Would you prepare us? Would you do this great work? It might make a difference. Maybe the reason so many of us struggle with understanding the deep things of God's words, not because we're too ignorant to do it, because we try, we're too stubborn and prideful to do it. We're not dependent upon God's grace and His Spirit to work and to give us that insight and help. Brothers and sisters, let us be a praying people for spiritual understanding that we may grow in the knowledge of Christ. The knowledge of His deep love for us. And let's pray it for one another. Let's pray that each other, as each individual part of this body goes to meet with the Lord, that they would have insight and wisdom into the deep things of God. But it doesn't stop here. Paul's already prayed for inner strength from the power of the Holy Spirit. He prays now for understanding of the knowledge of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. He prays for these things. But notice what he ends with here at the end of verse 19. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is our fourth point this morning. Prayer for feeling. This prayer sets the stage for the remainder of the book of Ephesus. Or the book of Ephesians. The letter to the church of Ephesus. Paul is praying here for them to begin to walk anew in Christ. To live out their faith. They've been grounded. Here's who you are in Jesus. 
Now here's how you live in Jesus. That's what's coming. So Paul now is praying that the fullness of God would fill them, would dwell within them. Again, similar to that of the Spirit. God dwells within us at the moment of faith. But now that faith and, and his dwelling begin to work out. That's what Paul is praying for and what is being modeled for us to pray. That we would be filled with the fullness of God. How can we be a people filled with the fullness of God if we're walking in sin? If we're not pursuing holiness and godliness? We can't. So the goal here is that Paul is praying essentially then that we would die to self. Day in and day out. Christian, do you understand that part of your call to discipleship is a call to die? To die daily. To take up your own cross and follow Jesus to death. For some of us, this may be a literal physical death. There are brothers and sisters around the world who die daily because of their professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Where they are, they do not hesitate to proclaim Jesus, even if it costs them their lives. But for each of us, while that may not be the call for most of us here, the call is to die spiritually to self each and every day. How? The call to die to the passions of old. A call to die to selfishness in the pursuit of unity. A call to die to immaturity and pursue maturity. A call to die to the minds full of futility and to have minds of usefulness. A call to die to falsehood and lies and a call to pursue truth. A call to hate and or to die to hate and to put on love. A call to die to impurity and put on purity. All of this Paul's about to unfold in the next three chapters. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are going to show us how to pursue these things. And he's now praying that we would be filled with the fullness of God to do so. In obedience to the call of Christ. But here's the reality. Of course, this high calling is a hard calling. The call of the Christian life is a hard calling. It's not a call for the faint of heart. It's not a call to simply pray a prayer and that's it. The call of the Christian life is a pursuit of God. Preparing to stand in the presence of he who is holy. Why do you think the curtain stood for so many years under the old covenant and saying, keep out. You can't come in because if you do, you die. Christian, do you think God is calling us just to, to have us stay filthy? The same power that's powerful enough to save us is the same power that Paul is praying now that would be at work to transform us, to make us new in Christ. Will we be filled with the power of God? Friend, if you're here this morning and you're pursuing the things of Christ, or if one of your family members is pursuing the things of Christ, Make it clear, they cannot and will not clean themselves up apart from God's spirit being at work in them, filling them with the fullness of himself and then believing in Jesus. Our greatest works cannot clean us up. They cannot save us. 
The only way is hope in Jesus, the one who bled and died and rose again, defeating death so that we might be too made alive in him. Christian, this is the call of the lives and friend. This is the call of the gospel to repent and believe and hope in Jesus and Jesus alone. Friends, we may try and act as if we have it all together, but the only thing that's going to matter when we stand before the judge, when he says, why should I let you in? You shouldn't. But the man on the middle cross died in blood. He bore my sins and my sorrows, and my faith is in him. I hope in him. And because of that, I was promised to enter. That's the hope of the gospel. That's what we're pressing on. But it's out of a love for this that we pursue this holiness. The pursuit of holiness is not a way to earn God's forgiveness. That is one at the cross. But it's out of response. And yet too many... Too many think that by simply praying a prayer, they're guaranteed in without any transformation of heart and desires. You want to know how you can tell a non-believing Christian or an immature Christian from a mature one? They're pursuing godliness or not. Friends, if you are apathetic or indifferent to this call to pursue holiness... I'm going to talk directly to you for a moment. You need to examine your heart. Because there's a good chance, either at the very least, you are a very immature Christian. But likely, you are not a believer at all. Because you don't have a love and a change of desire for the things that God does. He's not concerned with how many church activities and committees you've been on. He's not concerned with that. Are you being made new in the image of his son who he sent to die to save us in the first place is this what fills us are we chasing this desire this love of christ is that motivating us to pursue holiness in response to what jesus has already done this is what moves us as christians it's a moving of God's spirit because out of thanksgiving for what he's already done. The very idea of worship, when we say we are gathered here this morning for Sunday morning worship, it's to give the worth to God. Not ourselves, not our interests, not what we like. It's to give him all the glory and praise, which we're about to turn to in our fifth part. It's to give him the honor. That's what should move us Christian. To pursue godliness. And yet too many are living content by walling in sin. Too many are holding on to the things of the former life instead of pursuing that of the newness in Christ. Christian, let us pursue godliness and holiness with everything we've got because of what the Lord Jesus has already done for us. Let our desire to be constantly pursuing that. As we've understood his love. And again, all of this is for the praise of God. Look at verses 20 and 21 as we turn to part five. Praise to God. 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Why do we have confidence through these prayers? Because God is able to do far more than we ask and think. God is able to do these things for us. He's able to work greater requests than we could dare imagine. And this is why we should be given to this kind of prayer. Because God works through his people as they humble themselves and call upon, depend, or depend upon him. That's what prayer is. It's a humble plea for dependence, for aid. A prayerless Christian is, is an oxymoron, first and foremost, because it doesn't give the praise to glory. We can say we did it in our strength. But as we turn to God and pray, we can say, God, I, I'm helpless apart from you. I need you. Because he's the one who does it. He's the one who works these things according to his power at work within us. That's how we understand. I love what John Stott again here says. He says, he, being God, turns, or the one he's praying for, turns from the love of God past knowing the power of God, past imagining from limitless love to limitless power. For he is convinced, as we must be, that only divine power can generate divine love in the divine society. This is what the Apostle Paul is praying for the church of Ephesus and ultimately for us. That we would turn past that of uh, from limitless love to limitless power so that we may have love develop within us. A love for Christ and a love for one another. This is what Paul prays. And it's therefore no wonder that he turns to doxology of praise to our God. This God is the one who does the work. He calls us to a high calling, but he doesn't leave us to do it on our own. He strengthens us along the way. Do you realize that, Christian? God has called us to a high calling, but he doesn't leave us helpless to do it. He gives us the strength through his spirit to rise up, to the high calling of godliness, to walk in it, to pursue it. Yes, it's a long, hard road. The call to sanctification and ultimate glorification is not an easy fight. It's a long one. But this is why we need prayer. This is why we need strength in the inner man. This is why we need to understanding the surpassing knowledge of Christ. Of his love for us. Because it strengthens us along the way. As we seek to be filled with the fullness of God. As we grow near to him. To the day our faith becomes sight in Jesus. Brothers, sisters, will you commit yourself to this kind of prayer for one another? Because this is the only way we as the people of God are actually filled with the fullness of of God. We need his divine aid through the power of his spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,
Lord, 